Hello, hi, I'm Erin Vandevin. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here, so let's settle in. Hello, hi, and welcome to Medium Lady Talks, episode 37. I'm your host, Erin, and before we dive into a conversation with Jennifer Locke, who is a ghostwriter and writing coach, I thought I would just, you know, riff um, and do some spontaneous chit-chat, which is something I love to do, and I haven't made time to do it during season two of Medium Lady, which launched in February of this year. So yeah, I'll be totally honest with you. Um, You're going to hear a little bit of background noise. And the reason being is that I am um, on a bit of a solo road trip. The first leg of my road trip is taking me to my mom's place where I'm going to pick up my mom. And then my mom and I are going to take a a short road trip to um, visit my grandmother. My grandmother, my grandmother is, um, is, yeah, see, this is the kind of thing, you know, she's, um, she's changing as she approaches the end of her life. And I uh, haven't had a chance to see her in a while. And so my mom and I are going to drive to London together to see my grandma. But that's leaving me with uh, some really precious stretches of time alone by myself with my thoughts, both to kind of ground myself emotionally to see my grandma, but also to take in everything that's been going on in the last six months or so and to just kind of take stock of where I'm at mid-year and I think most of where my thoughts are going are to you know what I want and and what I want for my future what I want for the future of medium lady yeah those thoughts are not fully formed but I don't know maybe you can relate to having ever you know, been on a road trip by yourself or been on a extended drive. Uh, I don't drive often long distances by myself. Many of you, you might commute. So this might be, this might be a particularly daily experience for you. And I had a couple podcasts on and I was kind of, you know, blipping between podcasts and the Spotify playlist. And I just kind of decided to open up a voice memo and just start spontaneously chatting. It is a beautiful day on my drive. The sun is shining. It's early in the morning, so there's not too many cars on the highway yet. Although I did really have to take a big gulp as I filled my gas tank right before this drive. Gas prices are prohibitively astronomically high right now. But one of the things that, you know, strikes me on my drive is the last week and how incongruent my emotions have been to the weather. So we're finally hitting mid-June here where I am, and it's absolutely gorgeous. It's the most wonderful time of the year, truly. I really think spring is so underrated in the Northern Hemisphere. We all talk about fall, and we love the changing of the seasons, but these six weeks before the humidity really settles in are just perfect. They're perfect. And yet, you know, I've had what's been a really difficult week personally in managing my own emotions and how I'm navigating some of the things that are happening to my family, my family members. So there's something happening for my son at my son's school in the interest of his privacy. I won't go into too many details of that. But as a parent, I've had to be involved in varying degrees of proximity to that issue. And what I've noticed, because he's my oldest son, it's my first time experiencing this, that I have to navigate and self-regulate myself as I manage the situation and search for a solution that suits my son, not a solution that suits me. Um, and and that's, those solutions aren't necessarily going to be aligned as a mom, which is really hard to accept, is that what's going to you know be acceptable and comforting to my son might not be what I want. And I have to really pay attention to that in order to not make the situation about me it's really about him and his school and the situation. And there is a resolution that is, has been achieved. And we've been, I've been super grateful to have had really great partnership across the school setting to deal with this issue. But, you know, 
I've really found myself, and I don't know, this is like the best word I can think of, but I don't know that it's correct. So I've really found myself triggered by this situation in that it has brought up a ton of what ifs for me. And my what if thinking has been not helpful to my stress response because what I'm responding is to the what if, not the actual events. And the other thing is I'm, you know, also allowing my body to go through the distress of the what if. And I'm allowing the what if to play out as if it's reality in my heart, in my head, in the way that I breathe, in where I'm holding my shoulders. And I'm explaining this because I I haven't quite been able to fix it. I've really just been able to observe it and notice it. Um, I haven't been able to course correct the what ifs. I haven't been able to, you know, recalibrate my body to reality. And so that's been part of what I think has made it a really hard week for me. And that has been in contrast to the beautiful, beautiful weather that we're having. A lot of the time when I need to take care of myself, I go into nature. But it's really interesting how powerful the mind is and that even the times that I've been able to spend in nature have not necessarily been immediate solutions or immediate um, remedies to the stories I'm telling myself in my mind, the stories, the ways I'm, I'm catastrophizing or playing out this situation um, that is counter to the facts or counter to the reality or counter to the experience of the people who are intimately involved with them. And so this is a new experience for me as a parent. I think that what I've done really well is I've been able to reflect and pay attention to how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. I've been able to talk it through with people that I trust and love. And I've been able to give myself a bit of a buffer, a bit of distance to, from some of my other responsibilities to just allow that experience to take up the space that it might need to take up. I I don't have to compartmentalize, although probably today when I visit my grandma, I will compartmentalize a little bit. But I, you know, I've been really able to do that. And I don't think before now that I've actually done that. I, I don't think I've ever recognized what I'm feeling and then reprioritize some of my accountabilities in order to give myself space to move through what's happening to me. You know, I hear people say a lot, like sit with the emotion. And sometimes I really struggle to actually understand what that means. And that's just been a really interesting part of my own experience with my own mental health, my own journey through to a more self-compassionate place in my life. And if you have any tips or tricks on how to sit with an emotion, I think what that really means for me is to just feel my feelings. Um, And it's shocking to me how hard that is to do. It is not easy. It takes a lot of practice because those emotions can come up at really inconvenient times. The other day I was in the van with my whole family and I was struck by an emotion and I thought, well, let's just sit here with this emotion. And it was really hard because I didn't want to experience that in the, um, in the environment that I was in, I didn't want to, you know, be vulnerable or exposed while sitting there in the van with my family. And I didn't want to expose them to what I was feeling. So I closed my eyes and I experienced the emotion and it was probably only seconds. And then I kind of fell into this like narrative of judging how well I had done at sitting with the emotion, which I think is also like a big part of that process for me. Anyway, why am I sharing all of this now? I don't know, but it is just kind of what's on my mind right now. It is a bit of the time capsule of where the podcast is at today and the headspace that I'm in as I produce this episode with Jennifer Locke. Jennifer is a really amazing guest in that she really takes a very measured approach to her productivity as a creative person. There's a real balance you'll hear through our conversation between the creative process and organizing that creative process and staying accountable to that creative process. She acknowledges that for her as an upholder, that as an upholder, it's actually easier for her to stay accountable to the things she says she's going to do, but she recognizes that that's not everybody's style. And what you'll hear with Jennifer is what I felt like was a really gentle approach to allowing the creative process to take up time 
but also to protect the time that that creative process might take. She is really staunchly sort of protective of the people she coaches and how they prioritize their goals and how then that follows in their time, how that they prioritize their time once they've decided they want to achieve something. And that was something that's kind of stuck with me ever since our conversation, because I feel like a lot of the time when I want to be creative, I've found ways to kind of sneak it into the slivers of free time that I do have. Those of you that follow me on Instagram will be aware that every month I do what I call a monthly experiment. And these are really small self-care goals that last the period of the month. And they allow me to decide up front how I'm going to spend my free time and allow me to decide or set priorities about creativity or about reading and hobbies and other, um, other experiences and things that I want to try. But... I don't really protect time for that. I just allow that time to evolve organically. And when the time meets me, wherever we're at together, then that's when I dive into the experiment. And it has been really making me think if I should, in fact, be more protective of the time that I need to be creative or to, you know, practice my self-care goals or to follow through on the experiment that I'm setting up at the beginning of the month. A lot of the time at the beginning of the month, I set up my goals. I set up goals for reading, goals for play, things that I'm going to try or experiment with and, and things that I'm going to focus my thoughts and energy on. But I don't block my time after that. And, and sometimes I hit it out of the gate. I come out of the gate really quick uh, at the beginning of the month and I've really got my goals front of mind. And then as the month, you know, progresses, I might have kind of let something lapse one thing or another. And that's fine. I think it's actually not a problem that I do that. But I am a little bit curious if I was to say um, my monthly experiment is a priority for me in my life, that I should be, you know, protecting the time that it takes for me to engage with those self-care goals that make up each monthly experiment. The other reason that I'm thinking of that is I recently listened to an episode by the lazy genius Kendra Adachi, a beloved podcaster and definitely someone that I really look up to when it comes to podcasting and podcast creativity and community building. Kendra is an author, a podcaster. She's very, very funny. She's extremely a good coach and she's very good at giving people the practical steps that they need to think on. And those practical steps are hugely applicable to most areas of life. Kendra had a recent episode on getting the most out of your weekend. And she really kind of breaks down the things that get in our way when it comes to our weekends and allowing the time to kind of pass before we've actually done what really makes a weekend most meaningful to us. And weekend after weekend passing by and the time becoming less and less satisfying, less and less restful, less and less rejuvenating because perhaps we're allowing our weekend to run us and we're not taking control of that time. So in terms of that podcast with Kendra, my own reflections on my monthly experiment, in addition to the ways that I'm thinking about my conversation with Jennifer Locke and what she says about protecting time, I think I'm kind of just dabbling a little bit with the idea of time blocking or um, prioritizing or taking a retreat of some kind, protecting my time in a different way. And uh, that's, you know, been kind of an interesting thing to kind of think about and experiment with. And then eventually, I'm sure I'll get to the point where I'm ready to put something into practice and I'm ready to actually take action on all these thoughts. But for right now, they're just kind of banging around in my head. And I'm looking for more themes when it comes to time, prioritizing time, prioritizing boundaries around time, and not doing that with rigidity and perfectionism. But also, you know, maybe I've been a little too laissez-faire about my time. Maybe I've been a little bit too laissez-faire about um, how I spend my time and how my free time happens. I've maybe been allowing it to just happen by happenstance. And I've been trusting that, that it will happen by happenstance. But there might be a little bit of a new layer of self-care that I can unlock uh, if I were to perhaps take a different approach to that time and take a different approach to those small monthly self-care goals that I'm setting for myself. And why would I do that? If I think it's working now when it just kind of happens by accident, why would I invest the medium effort, which I'm talking about all the time? Medium effort is 
investing a little bit of energy up front in order to make sure that you're really solid on what you're pursuing or on what you're trying to achieve or on where you're trying to go. If I put a bit of medium effort into thinking about my time, it does make me think about where I've been this week, emotionally, a little bit distressed, a little bit off kilter, and I have made the um, experience sort of protected in a bubble by deprioritizing some things and reprioritizing other things and allowing that to be something that helps me protect my time. And I'm doing that because I'm in a bit of distress. But maybe if I wasn't in distress or next week when I'm feeling better, which I will, I know I will feel better, even already day by day, I do feel better about this situation. Anyway, if I were to do that in a way that wasn't about being in distress, there might be really wonderful um, benefits to me as a person. And I think a lot of the time we do dip into self-care when we're upset. We do dip into self-care when we're stressed or overwhelmed. And we often don't dip into self-care when everything's great. How are you today? I'm great. I'm having a great day. That might mean that I actually skip my meditation or I skip doing my EFT tapping before bed. That might be a day when I go to bed a little bit later. Yeah, so I guess these thoughts are all kind of jangling around. And again, it's really helpful for me to be able to talk them through in a way that helps me get closer and closer to the center of it all, closer and closer to the bullseye of meaning for me as a person. And we all have multiple perspectives and those multiple perspectives can create meaning. They can create a shared meaning for us, for me as the podcaster and you as a listener, or for me and Jennifer as she's my guest and I'm the host. And those multiple perspectives can overlap to create a shared meaning. But also sometimes our individual perspectives can allow us to get closer and closer to our own sense of meaning, what matters to us, um, where things hold value, where things are going to make us feel the most seen, make us feel the most like ourselves. My conversation with Jennifer is going to feel probably like a bit of a hard pivot from this emotional introduction. I think that's okay. I hope you're up for it. And I'm so glad you're here. Please remember to rate and review the podcast. Um, If you like this episode, I would really love it if you would take some time to write a review. And if you love this episode, I hope that you will think of someone in your life who will benefit from it and that you'll share it with them. Because of course, the best way for us to build the medium lady community is when we reach out to one another and make those individual connections. Um, I'm going to uh, log off now and sign it off to my conversation with Jennifer Locke. You can find Jennifer at her website. It's uh, jenniferlockwrites.com. Or you can find her on Instagram at jenniferlockwrites. And you'll love what she's doing there in her stories. You'll love her approach to things, her personality. She's very warm and encouraging. Even if you're not a writer, I think you're going to benefit from her presence and her influence in your life. That's all from me. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at medium.lady if you want to see my monthly experiments happening. My June experiment's a little bit late, actually. It's uh, not quite gone up yet. It'll probably go up tomorrow, which is June 12th. So that's a little late in the game, but I'm okay with that. I'd, I'd rather get it up than skip it. Please make sure if you want to engage with this episode that you look for the pink tile in my feed on Instagram and uh, I would love to connect with you over there anytime. Okay, I'm uh, almost at my exit to go and pick up my mom. Thanks for keeping me company. And here's myself and Jennifer. We're talking about uh, the creative process and medium effort. Bye. Hello, hi, welcome to Medium Lady Talks. This is episode 37. I'm here with a new to me friend. uh, and We're going to talk a little bit about writing and the subject of writing. I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest, Jennifer Locke. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? How are (laughs) you? I'm good. So Jennifer and I met through Instagram. We are friends of a friend, our mutual friend, Tracy Stanger, Tracy, who is a do less guru. She's all about supporting people to make the most of their business strategies by, you know, spending less time on the execution side of things. And she hosts a really cool 
Zoom coffee house on Tuesdays. And, and while that's a little bit about Tracy, who's not on the podcast today, that is how Jennifer and I met today. And so Jennifer, welcome to Medium Lady Talks. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast and to get to know you a little bit better. Can you just tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do and, you know, what sure. we're going to kind of dive into today in terms of your expertise? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, first off, my name is Jennifer Locke, and I have been writing fiction for about 11 years now. So I've been writing fiction for a while. I parlayed that after kids and needing to start an online business so I wouldn't have used those words at that time. I wanted to work from home. And so eventually I was able to parlay my fiction writing, book writing expertise into ghostwriting and author coaching. It was not a one-to-one straight journey, but that's that's kind of how I got to where uh, what I'm doing now. And so, so I started with this love of fiction and writing books and, and narrative and storytelling, and I still do that. Um, but I found that that was a translatable skill for nonfiction as well, which is what I focus on in my business. So in my business, what I'm, I'm focused on is helping people who, I describe them as status quo shakers, people who want to share a big message. They have a passion to change the way something is happening and they feel kind of like a calling to get their message out there but they don't know where to go from there. They don't know how to write a book. The process is totally overwhelming and intimidating. And there's a bazillion mixed messages that you can find online of write a book in 90 days and you know all, all these confusing messages. If you don't know where to start, it can be very confusing. So what I do is I help guide people through that process, first through getting really clear on who the book is for, what it's about, why it's so important for them to um, share the book, why it's important to get this message out there. Coming back to the why is is so important and really defining that in the beginning and casting a big vision for your book because it's a lot of mundanity. I mean, it's fun. It's joyful. It's, um, <laughs> it's you mean all the, the writing things. part, the writing part. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's wonderful. And it's also a lot of showing up in the same place at the same time and doing that when you probably rather be doing something else, right. Casting a vision for the why really focus coming back to that when the going gets tough. Um, so I help people with all of that, with the ideation, with the outline, with defining what it's about, how they can use it strategically. I also coach them through the process of writing the book. And for some people, I ghostwrite as well. So that's that's who I am. That's what I do. I help people birth their nonfiction books and work as like a cheerleader um, for for them. It's more complicated than that. But a lot of what I do is just telling people like, yeah, you really can do this. I know you it's, really uh, can write a book. Yeah, you really <laughs> uh, plenty of other people are do it can have done it. And um, you're no different than they are. So <laughs> I would definitely love to write a book someday. I have no idea where that part of my creative life might manifest itself. A lot of what I originally started doing before I started the podcast was about writing. It was about mm-hmm. self-expression and self-discovery through writing. I posted a lot of that on Instagram just for a place to keep it and a place mm-hmm. to kind of share it. And then that act of writing built into my own ability to kind of use my voice instead of writing what I thought is sort of more about talking and connecting with people through through my voice, but I still really love to write a lot. Although a lot of my life has changed in a way where I feel like there's not as much room for writing as maybe there once was when my kids were even a couple years smaller or Mm -hmm. my world felt a little bit smaller during the pandemic. I did Mm -hmm. a lot of writing during that time. So I think it's really neat for us to kind of chat a little bit today. You know, Jennifer, I think if I see you as sort of like the the midwife or the doula of the book writing process you know you said you help people birth so I'm going to keep going with that analogy Uh a little bit we imagine like so for example when I say like I'd love to have a book someday it's I would love to like hold a book that I wrote in my hands but the actual activity of sitting down every day for a year and writing Mm -hmm. that book is 
probably something I would really resist quite a a lot. The Mm -hmm. act of writing the book, I think would probably be really challenging, but sometimes people are attracted to the idea of writing a book because they, they have something they want to share, but also they find the, the act of writing seems really romantic. Like it seems, Mm -hmm. you know, writers being a writer, you know, like there's all kinds of, of archetypes and stereotypes of writers and the writing process and how, Mm -hmm how blissful that must be, you know, Uh where do you kind of meet your clients at in terms of, you know, where they might be on the spectrum as with someone, as someone with a big idea, they're either like really super excited to get into the mundanity of writing or, Mm -hmm. or it lets them down because it's not as romantic as everybody thought it was. Or people are just like, I just want to hold my book in my hand as a way to share my ideas with the world. So have you ever read the book, um, I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here, but have you ever read the book Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed? No, but I know it. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Um, so Yeah, so in the book, she is an advice columnist and her name is Sugar. And this was before she was famous. She she did this as an in anonymity and people would write in and she would answer as sugar. And so one of the um, essays in it that I just love that I often give to people who are writing or I point them towards is someone who um, she wanted to be a writer. She was writing, but she said like everything I write is it's either like the most brilliant thing in the world or it's terrible, you know, and she (laughs) would just have these wild swings between the two and Cheryl Strayed writing as Dear Sugar says something like, you're you're up too high and you're down too low. Mm. And, and neither one of those places is where the work gets done. The work gets done in the middle. So while it is, um, it can, we can have a romantic notion of what it's like to write and what it takes. The actuality of it is that it's a lot more like, okay, put in your put it in your schedule, (laughs) meet your word count, you know, like free write for a few minutes, you know, you you can kind of arrive at your own process and no two authors have the same process for how they get it out. Mm -hmm. Like there is no perfect way to do it. You have to experiment and tweak a little bit and find what works for you. But it's just a whole lot of, you know, showing up in the same place at the same time. Not necessarily at the same time, but showing up (laughs) in the same place. And, uh, you know, because we have real lives and real um, (laughs) commitments and things that might get in the way of that. Um, But yeah, it's just a lot of showing up and, and getting the words down and then coming back, editing them making sure you're communicating clearly. Um, Yeah, so there's uh, that romantic notion. I think if we can kind of lose that as soon as possible and just realize like what it it actually takes, like all the better because- Comes reality. Right, yeah. And I mean that in like a liberating good way, hopefully hopefully in a way that's empowering, you know, as in like, we all have the capability to do it. If you want to do it, you do have the capability. It just it just takes some some consistency. And to the other thing that uh, another thought that sparked as you were um, asking the the question is, I think like you mentioned, showing up every day for a year for you know I think we have this idea that it's going to take so much of us and we yeah. will have to right show up and like just for hours and hours at a time. I think it's really crucial to have a clear plan in place for the writing. Um, That's one of the things I do with people is help them really develop their outline. And I think of it as like the scaffolding underneath you as you write. So you have that support system and you know where you're going. We can get into trouble a lot of times when you, we expect ourselves to just be able to sit at the keyboard and crank out some brilliance you know yeah Um, I'm raising my hand that would be me yeah would be me it's like (laughs) okay this is the hour I've carved out in my life for this let's turn on the genius ready set go yeah and meanwhile we're thinking like I gotta switch the laundry (laughs) like I gotta (laughs) you know like this room is such a mess xyz I'll just answer one more email before I get into my writing. Right. Yeah. And so without like focused intention for that time where it's like, okay, I'm going to write the first, 
I don't know, 500 words of this introduction, and this is what the theme is on, and this is a story that I have to, that I can share, and I can tell that story. So we're bringing it smaller and smaller and smaller, um, what we're looking at through the picture frame. Anne Lamott has a great thing on that. I don't know if you know Anne Lamott, but she talks about what can you see through the small picture frame, okay? And so, like, just write, focus in on that for the time being rather than trying to paint the whole canvas. Mm. Um, yeah, so the more support people have beneath them when they set out to actually make use of those pockets of time to write, then the better able they're, the more able they are to take advantage of them and to get words down that they are proud of. So I talk a lot about medium effort because I mm -hmm. think that the more I can remember that what I'm really trying to put in is medium effort. I'm not trying to hold on to my life, my goals, my perception of how things are going. I'm not trying to hold on to rigid perfectionism and 10 out of 10 on everything that I'm doing on any given day, but I'm also not I'm not trying to let it all be a hot mess, right? Mm -hmm. And so I talk about medium effort as the middle ground is like, you don't have to live at a zero or a 10. There are all kinds of numbers in between, which is mm -hmm. actually very similar to the Cheryl Strait idea that you're mentioning, which is about um, you're too high, your highs are too high and your lows are too low. And the middle is the part where we're going to really make something. So, yeah. So if I, you know, if I apply that medium effort philosophy to writing, you know, you're kind of describing a little bit of like the medium effort process of writing. Mm -hmm. And we build that out a little bit. What you're talking about are things that are really not glamorous. It's like mm -hmm. consistency, mm -hmm. scheduling, a commitment to the process, starting small. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you find that your people, the people that you work with, <laughs> how long does the average person take to kind of like accept that, you know, cause I'm always really baffled by how, like, it's the things that we, we already know that we need sometimes the most help with mm -hmm. is, you know, if you tell me like, well, Aaron, if you want to write a book, you have to like protect your time. You have to schedule for it. You have to be consistent. You have to show up in the same way. You have to engage in the editing process. You have to allow some things to work and some things to not work. And then I would think, okay, well, I should be able to execute on that on my own. But there's still actually like a fair bit of effort when it comes to doing the most obvious thing. Where do you build relationship with your clients or your, your writers to, to get them to that effort, to get them to be accountable to that thing that you're asking them to do? So this is an idea that I've kind of been exploring recently and um, playing with it a little bit in Instagram stories, and it's not fully um, worked out or anything, So, but I'll talk about it anyway. But I think um, something that is key in, in helping people see the process through when it's such a big undertaking, because it is such a big, even with medium effort sustained over a period of time, it's still a big thing, right? Like training for a marathon is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Building a business is a big thing. Having a family is a big thing. So it's, you know, you can see like what other areas in your life, do you have evidence where you have built something or done something that is bigger than you? Mm. Um, that's kind of like a tangent, but um, yeah, I just, I, oh, think it's I love that. Right. Yeah. People, people have, um, you can do it, you know, you, you already have done it in several different areas. So gathering that evidence and like making the case to yourself is a useful exercise, I think. But different people are motivated by different things. Mm. And um, some people, relationship and accountability and being um, accountable to someone else, like having a buddy who is either going through the writing process themselves or that they're paying to keep them accountable. That's how they get words on the page and that works for them and they should do that, you know? Other people might have a very like competitive streak. And so they are more or less competing against themselves to see what they can do. And like, 
okay, if I did this yesterday, basically what I'm doing is I'm paraphrasing the four tendencies. I don't know okay. sure if you're... <laughs> I am. I am familiar yeah. with Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies. The four tendencies. Yeah. So, and I put this out to my audience on Instagram the other day because I'm so interested in what is motivating to people. So I wanted to know like, okay, if you're this, kind of tell me how you operate. And I got some really interesting insights from people that I'm thinking about incorporating into my coaching going forward. But yeah, so rebels, I found out like to compete with themselves. So if they had like a session yesterday where they got this amount done, like, can you beat it today? You know, can you like, <laughs> can you go harder or put sticky notes up on the wall and put an X through them as you accomplish your goals? All these different things are motivating to different people. So find the way that is going to keep you engaged, come back to your why and keep that front and center and whatever motivates you, like whatever works for you, do that. Nobody else can kind of tell you how to do it. Everybody has their own process. And something that I say a lot is the way that works is the way that works for you. Right. So I don't know if that um, answers your question. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's all about finding what what kind of makes you tick and keeps you going. And how many of your people that you're working with are really clear on that? Because I think, you know, and this is something I've talked about with other guests is a lot of the time we're kind of coming to an idea without necessarily having a great sense of our own the own, our own definitions of who we are, of the own, our own, like, we're not always really clear on the menu of things that make us tick. Mm -hmm. um, but those things are super powerful to move through something like a creative writing process or a book writing process. Or I've talked to other guests who talk about, you know, minimalism or, mm -hmm. you know, reading or any number of topics where people, they're attracted to something and there's an appeal for them. But the difference between the appeal and the product or the process is knowing who you are and exactly what you said, what, what works is what works best is going to be what works best for you. And that's what you have to kind of know upfront or be open to discovering mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how many of your clients come already kind of aware of what's working for them. Like how much time do you have to spend on that yeah. part of it? Yeah, I would say they have a good sense of self-awareness. Mm -hmm. One thing that I will say can be, um, I see often is, so usually when I work with people, it's within a six-month framework. Okay. And um, just kind of as a benchmark. And some people will say like, what if I finish it super fast? What if I finish it in three months? Then what do I do for the rest of the six months? And um, something that I say a lot is that, I'm like, okay, well, you know, if, if that happens, then we will workshop it and get it as good as it can be before we go on to the next stage. But what most often happens nine times out of 10 is that writing the book is always going to take, I said nine times out of 10. And then I said, always. So I'll just go ahead and say always, <laughs> even, <laughs> even though I'm careful not to make pronouncements like that. I'll just go ahead and say it. It, it takes longer than you think it will. Mm. So we can get really excited and being, you know, I find people can get super excited and be like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, you know, and then become daunted at, at the prospect of it. And I don't know if that's more, I, I think that's less a case of not having self-knowledge and more a case of trying to do too many things at once. Mm. And Yeah. And not giving the book the time that it deserves. It doesn't need to be like the only thing in your life, the only right. thing that you have going on. And for most of us, that's pretty far. You know, we have jobs, we have other plenty of other demands on our time, but it does need to be like a high priority for the time, like one or two <laughs> for the time that you set aside and that you've decided that you're going to do this. So when people come to me and they say they want to work on it, I'm, I never try to talk anybody into doing it. It's more like, are, are you sure, you know, are you sure you have the time <laughs> to, <laughs> and can make the time to, to set aside to, to do this. And, you know, it's so, it's so boring. Like it's what I often say, it's just showing up, being consistent and being consistent 
and despite like the mind gremlins that appear and mm. say all yeah. sorts of things about worthiness and who should write a book and who shouldn't those appear for everyone but can you show up in spite of that and just communicate the message that you have been called to communicate you know you want to share it for a reason it's meaningful for you it will be meaningful to other people mm -hmm. so can you just block everything else out and just show up and and make a commitment to getting that message out when you say a lot of your clients they have to make it the number one or at least the number two priority in their lives what are some examples of the other things that they might be balancing when they come to work with you Mm -hmm. uh, families, mm -hmm. uh, running, running businesses. I work with a, a lot of entrepreneurs, podcasts, <laughs> they might have a podcast. <laughs> okay, all right. And I say that, um, you know, podcasts, sure. like I am very impressed with anybody who runs a podcast. Like, I'll just go ahead and say that. Cause to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so much time. That's I look at podcasting the way other people look at book writing. Um, you know, it might be like Q1 and Q2, you're going to write the book and like one other thing. But having having too many priorities can, can trip people up. Yeah, yeah, I could relate to that too. I think in some ways, my writing took a backseat and I'm not even writing a book. I'm just talking about like creative writing and self-expression with the intention of sharing it. But um, like not, not journaling or anything like that, but mm -hmm. my writing definitely took a backseat once I started producing the podcast and you're right. I mean, we're going to record for a bit of time and then there's probably going to be a good hour or so of editing for every 15 to 30 minutes and then promoting and all of that time. I, I would have to hiatus from the podcast in order to pivot that time into, into another meaningful or, you know, writing or any other creative process, you know, if I want to become an a fine artist or whatever it would be, you know, it's, that's, that's my time budget is right there in podcasting right. for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is so labor intensive from what I hear of <laughs> people who do it. I don't think I'll ever take, ever say never, but. Oh no, never. No, no, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I encourage anybody who has ever even thought about a podcast to go ahead and do it. Cause it's really it's very, it's very rewarding. I think yeah. even, even a, even a small series of, of episodes is, is a, a fun capsule idea for, yeah. for pretty much anybody. And that's, you know, a kind of time bound opportunity, but, but we're I kind of pivoting. Maybe. <laughs> maybe I could do that. Someday. There you go. Yeah. Six episodes uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and uh -huh. release okay. them. And then they they just live there and they're, they're mm -hmm. available when people need them. I think one interesting thing that I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about is your life as a fiction writer and your life evolving and changing as you became a parent. Um, I feel like I didn't have as rich of a creative life until I kind of hit this point where I couldn't live without it as a parent. So prior to having kids, I don't think I really had a very dynamic creative life as I had kids. Um, and with my third son, it became like, like a life or death situation. Mm -hmm. It felt like if I wasn't going to make time to create, I was going to forget who I was entirely. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about how you iterated your creative life prior to having kids, we both have three kids mm -hmm. prior to having kids. I'm not sure how old your kids are, but you know, would you be willing to kind of reflect and share a little bit about that sure. from, from your own personal experience? Cause I think the process is really informative for people, for mothers, for other women, because we expect that our life kind of is like, you're a fiction writer and maybe you could always be a fiction writer, but you know, when we expect our lives to be fixed, then we kind of find a lot of resistance in our life because we're saying like, why can't I keep things the way that they always were, whether it's, you know, keeping my life the way it always was, keeping my schedule the way it always was, keeping my body the way it always was, mm -hmm. you know, and to tell our stories in a way that describes the process of changing over time as a really like normal way of living life. So that's my invitation to you is I, I'm hoping you'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a really great question. And it's one that I've never been asked before. So I have three daughters, the oldest two are twins, and they're six, and the youngest is 10 and a half months old. Um, <laughs> so they're pretty small. 
And so I had been writing prior to the birth of my twin girls. I'd been writing pretty seriously, I would say, for a while up to that point. But the tenor, I guess you could say, of my writing changed definitely once I had them. And I even recall saying at the time, like, yeah, I wrote... I wrote before then, but none of that was very good. And, you know, it might have been okay, but just for the own, from my own self, like the best way that I can describe it is that I began in my fiction to write from the inside out rather than the outside in. Mm. Just through like the death of self and rebirth that happens when you become a mom. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. And, and seeing everything in um, new ways and terrifying and beautiful ways and, and whatnot um, when you when you do that which is not to say that you have to be a mother to experience that change or to be a parent um, definitely not saying that but yeah so that that was the switch that happened for me and um, I read the artist way when mm -hmm. my kids were very young and mm -hmm. I they were babies they were less than one years old and I did it kind of like you said as a as a life raft, like the way that you described with after. The oh, that's perfect. Your, yeah. yeah. Uh huh. And I found I like I took it seriously. Like I'm an upholder in the four tendencies. If anybody knows what that is, where <laughs> they're great at you know following made up rules. But I was like, I'm going to do this, and just um, the things that it yielded in my personal life, in my creative life going through that it's like a it's a book but you can do it as a 12-week kind of self-paced course and I still I'll come back to that book often when mm. I need to get in touch with um, my creative expression who I am as a person what brings me joy um, all of those things that was like a real touchstone for me um, in continuing my creative journey after I had kids and just a joyful, deep, liberating experience and kind of like helped me um, identify what I wanted in my life more and identify that I could indeed have those things, invited me to play and to explore my imagination in new ways. And um, that was a real reprieve because I was deep in the um, postpartum yeah. anxiety and depression yeah. period. Uh, yeah, so I come back to that book when I need to. And as far as um, you, how, how has my creative life changed? Was that the second yeah. part of the question? Yeah. Well, you've evolved from mm -hmm. fiction writer to, not that you've set aside fiction writing, but mm -hmm. to business of, you know, nurturing and mm -hmm. helping others manifest their own writing products like their own their own memoir their own nonfiction, and and making that change over time you know it's not like you switched one off and you switched mm -hmm. the other on yeah so I still write fiction and to me I see them as not so separate mm -hmm. um, even though I focus on one um, for my business but the the key thing is storytelling and voice can you tell mm. a story do you have an authentic voice do you sound like yourself um, and that's what people <laughs> respond to um, yeah so I love I, I stories is the bottom line I love stories I love making them up in fiction I love learning other people's I mean it's so interesting to me to hear people's stories and to be privy to them to um, be the one that they share them with so I can help them translate it onto the page. I think that's like a huge honor and privilege and I love to hold that space for them and help them translate it so that other people get to be impacted by them as well. And what was the first time when you thought to another writer, let me help you with this? Yeah, so it happened by accident. Um, and so I was doing more short form things like thought leadership, articles, blogs type of things. And I connected with someone and we had a good relationship. And that person eventually asked me if I had ever written a business book before. And I said no, but... I think I can figure it out because I have, <laughs> <laughs> because I have, 
because I have written other books. So it happened totally by accident and, but also with intention because I realized I had a high dollar value skill and kind of used it as a vehicle to work from home. I I Mm -hmm. didn't necessarily think of it as quote unquote, starting an online business back then. (laughs) Um, But I saw it as something that I could kind of like capitalize on and, and do and and still stay home with my girls. And Mm -hmm. so that's, that was the genesis. And do you think that the pandemic has changed the market for, for the self-made author, I guess? What I mean by that is I feel like now more than ever, there's a market for the self-published person who's not a writer, but is, I guess, a thought leader or somebody Mm -hmm. with uh, an amount of expertise or a very distinct point of view that wants to use a book as the way to get their ideas out in the world. I feel like I'm seeing that more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if it's the pandemic or just like a general trend that, you know, I, you'd have to talk to somebody more expert than me to to <laughs> say when the trend started. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, everybody has to have a book. Everybody has to have okay. a book. And I will never say that. You know, I don't think everybody has to have a book. I think if you want to go on that journey, then it's, it's worthwhile and, and you should do it because you'll learn so much about yourself and you'll be able to have such wider resonance than pretty much any, almost any other, maybe it maybe any, maybe I can go ahead and make that proclamation that, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm careful with my speech if you can't tell, but, um, yeah, I, I like that. I yeah. <laughs> um, then just about anything else, right? Like it can be read across the world. Mm-hmm. You develop an intimate relationship with your readers and get to, mm-hmm. you know, somebody picking up your book and reading it cover to cover, like what a, what a gift that is, what a, what a gift of their time and attention that they're giving you. And we can all think of like our, you know, I have my author BFFs who they're my best friends, even though they don't know it. (laughs) I mean, you've cited Gretchen Rubin, you've cited um, Cheryl Strayed and Lamont. So we're getting a sense of who you're, who's in your inner circle when it comes to BFFs. Yeah. Uh yeah. I actually, I don't know the author of the artist way off the top of my head. Yeah. Julia Cameron. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So for the, the ability to like have that type of relationship with people all over the world, I think there's nothing like it. Mm. And um, yeah. So I, I, it's a unique opportunity that, that a book provides. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like people say that about pot, not, I don't think it's the same experience or relationship with podcasting because I think you need a different kind of consistency with a podcast. Um, At least that's something I always worry about, but I do think it's sort of like everyone needs to have a book and everyone needs to have a podcast. That's kind of how the space the space feels right now. Mm -hmm. And I like that, you know, you've really kind of putting out the idea is that when people feel called to share their story and share their voice, then that's always going to be the most precious and unique thing about them. And Mm -hmm. it's worth writing a book about if they feel called to do that. Right. And not everybody's going to feel called to do that. Um, But regardless of how many books are out there, your book isn't out there. So Mm -hmm. if you want to write it, you should write it because it doesn't exist yet. Um, And I think that a lot of people get overly invested in what everybody else is doing. Certainly, even myself as a podcaster, like really have to kind of stay in my own lane and appreciate my own creative process and my own way of connecting with people and not try to be, you know, something I'm not, you know, not try Mm -hmm. to be any, any other, you know, podcast with millions of downloads or whatever it might be. Right. And just, you know, hone in on my voice and my ability to connect with an audience or a guest in any given time. I think that's really, that's really a really lovely and like important, I think, message for anybody out there listening, who's wanting to write a book or just wanting to engage in a creative process that shares Mm -hmm. more of who they are with the world. Yeah. And I would say podcasting, like that's the only thing I can think of that is is roughly equivalent, you know, in terms of reach and in terms of like the relationship that you get to have with your audience. 
Rachel Rogers said that too on a recent podcast episode. I don't know if you know who she is, but no. she wrote a she wrote a book that's called We Should All Be Millionaires, and she has a, a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm name dropping right and left here, but anyway, I love it. I'm taking lots yeah. of notes, so uh-huh. everybody go to the show notes if you're interested in some of these references that Jennifer's sharing with us. Yeah, she said that as well. Like the she gets recognized because of the book and she gets recognized also because of the podcast people listening to that so one or both all of the above but not at the <laughs> same all time great. probably not at the same time yeah <laughs> so jennifer you know tell me you know we've talked a lot about time and like protecting your time to do these things that sort of create a product at the end but like when it comes to you and your own creative life outside of your business, what motivates you to make time for yourself? And, you know, this is something that I'm like, I, I feel like I'm losing the thread a little bit in mm. uh, in life right now. And I'll just be honest, you know, sure. it's, it's summertime. Everybody's home. <laughs> I've got uh, new projects that are very exciting but I also feel that, okay, I, it's time to, like, I, I wrote a book. It's been about two years since mm-hmm. I, I, I seem to have a creative process that takes about two years from idea to drafting the novel to revising and editing. And now I'm in that cycle again where I'm, I'm ready for another idea. And so that is something that I've been thinking about lately. How do I um, make the space to cultivate the idea? Um, I'm going to be going on vacation soon. That's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Very happy for you. (laughs) Thank you. So I'm kind of opening myself up to pay attention to things Mm -hmm. and to be in the receptive mode for any ideas that, that want to come through. And I find that for myself, I am most happiest when I'm writing fiction. So if it's, if it's been too long since I've done that, or if I'm doing a lot of other things, and some of that's natural, just because I kind of have been doing this enough that I know my own cycles, but I can feel the pull when, okay, it's time to, it's time to get back to that. Um, So that is something that I'm going to be doing pretty intentionally in the coming weeks and months is, is creating space, both to kind of brainstorm and not have any results or outcomes that I hope to be attached to that time, just time to think and time to journal. And then eventually time to begin like getting my hands in the clay and shaping that Mm. into something. And it's always a bit of a a mystery, um, you know, how and the what and the X, Y, Z of what that will look like. But I I feel the the call to make space. So that's what I'm going to be doing soon. That is so wise and such a good piece of advice for people out there is that, and again, I think it kind of goes a little bit back to the way that we kind of cling to keeping things the same is that you've noticed in yourself a cycle and a season and you're attuned to it and it allows you to recognize the season that you're in and align it to wherever you might be in the cycle and accept that if you're not writing right now, it doesn't mean that you're never going to be writing fiction again. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, really about balancing and opening yourself up to the the point where the ebb and flow happens in life. And I think that's also very self-compassionate of you because I perceive that as a writer, it would be really easy to, to start and finish and start and finish and, and maintain what appears to be constant momentum. But in actuality is like a for you, an organic, an organic process that kind of needs space to incubate, grow, develop, and become something, including just the the, the idea itself, the idea of it mm-hmm. all. Um, what does that look like for you when you know you have a 10-month-old? 10-month-olds are wonderful and adorable and a ton of work. <laughs> work uh-huh. they don't care too much about well they might actually be a little bit okay with the schedule but um does that look like a daily process does it look like something like a protected a vacation where you know you're going to mm-hmm. you're going to be able to take some things off your plate to make room mm-hmm. for other things 
Yeah, it doesn't look like much right now. It looks <laughs> like, um, you know, some meditation times. It looks yeah. like some journaling times when I can get it. And her sleep has been pretty, it's been okay. It's not been great lately. <laughs> so, um, so it's so been tough. happening less, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. it's just a matter of being like, okay, well, I know it will get better again. You know, mm -hmm. they go through seasons of sleeping great and then not so great. But just kind of having the faith that it that it will come and um, taking naps. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what it looks like right now, honestly. Naps are part of the creative process. Yeah, taking naps when I can. That That's about it right now. <laughs> it, it will be uh, more robust or whatever in the future, but... But right now I'm just trying to um, get a nap in when I can. I think that's so healthy. I mean, I feel it feels very healthy to me to see the balance of yourself as a human being who's creative and that the, the robustness, to use your word, the robustness of that process is going to always be aligned to your own wellness. Um, I recently finished a book called Laziness Does Not Exist by Devin Price. And mm. it's very much about breaking down the myths in terms of productivity and that when we're not producing, we must be lazy or that uh, laziness, in fact, is, a, is evidence of something that's going wrong mm -hmm. instead of it just our need to rest and our, and our ability to do that um, and to tap into that as as part of who we are and what we need as human beings and, mm -hmm. and as a really important part of, of anybody who's, who's got a calling, anybody mm -hmm. who wants to do important work, anybody who wants to nurture tiny humans and mm -hmm. pretty much anyone who wants to do anything of any kind. I mean, kudos to you. Cause I feel like it's a really healthy, healthy perspective to take yeah, on, thanks. on the season that you're in. Yeah. And you can kind of gauge for yourself. I I've noticed like you know, what's, what's your like tells or whatever. Like mm. for, for me, it's like, oh, I'm thinking thoughts that are pretty mean to myself. Mm. Like, why am I thinking that, you know what? I'm tired. That's yeah. why, <laughs> you yeah. know, like I just need to sleep. Um, so being able to recognize those and, and identify what you need is something that I'm ever working on. Oh my gosh. I love it. Yeah. And ever working on is honest too, because that's, uh, some days you get it right. And some days you don't, but you, you have the time, you have the time to navigate your way to that, to that place. I love that so much. Jennifer, you've given us a ton of resources. You've dropped a ton of wisdom in this episode. We've talked about Rachel Rogers, Cheryl Strayed. We've talked about the artist way. We've talked about Anne Lamott. Do you have any other top recommendations for reading podcasts movies fiction oh, what else do you want to share with people oh my goodness well there's just a, a lot of different ways that I could take this huh <laughs> and I, I didn't mean... give you this question in advance so I'm totally <laughs> going spontaneously oh boy well I'm enjoying the show hacks right now okay so <laughs> that's uh so it's about a it's with Jean Smart, and she's a established female comedian who's kind of had her shtick for a long time, and she's had this Vegas residency for, like, decades, and she draws a crowd. She also has a online shopping, um, like, a QVC brand, like, she's got an <laughs> empire, right? <laughs> and this down-on-her-luck TV writer who got in trouble for a tweet where she more or less took her foot in her mouth, can't get hired anywhere, but her agent gets her this job where she helps reinvigorate the aging comics material. And so they have a unique relationship and um, it's a lot of fun. And <laughs> so it's a, it's a show about a writer. It's a show about a right, right. Yeah, it's kind of illustrative of the ghostwriter author relationship, relationship cool. in some ways, and it's fun. So, and where can we watch Hacks? I I've never checked it out. I'm going to. Yeah, so it's on HBO Max. Perfect. Mm -hmm. All right. Anything else? I'm reading Jesse Klein's book. I'll show myself out, which is oh, um, I've seen that everywhere. 
it's very, it's funny. It's, I'm enjoying it a lot. And where can we find your books? So my books are not published yet. So I'm pursuing the traditional route for publication for those. And yeah. that's had some twists and turns over the ways. Um, hopefully I have, they're out with an agent right now. So hopefully that we'll see what comes. They're, they're middle grade books. And then the other books, a lot of them are ghost written. So they don't necessarily oh, so have we'll my never name know. on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you happen to be thumbing through the acknowledgements one day and you see my name in there, then, then you'll know. <laughs> but if you can find me on Instagram, I hang out there a lot at Jennifer Locke writes. All one word. Yeah. And then L-O-C-K-E-W-R-I-T. Yes. So people can go ahead and connect with you over there on Instagram. And I'm following Jennifer on Instagram. Lots of very engaging, helpful, supportive encouragements for all of the writers out there. And I think if you have a book idea and you're just looking for that daily dose of, of cheerleading encouragement, following Jennifer on Instagram is a great idea for sure. Well, and if you're you. looking for more, if you're looking for ghostwriting services, coaching, if anybody out there is really looking for the next step to take to take their idea to a book, then you can go and find her on Instagram. Yeah, on my website too, jenniferlockwrites.com. Perfect. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, thanks for chatting with me today. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Erin. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks oh for letting me spew a lot of uh, the the books that are the books and TV shows. Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff playing up in my brain, so I like to. It's fun to get it out. And <laughs> thanks for allowing me to do that. You gave me a ton of stuff that I haven't I haven't read or checked out before, and I love new stuff. I love being exposed to new stuff. I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a maximalist when it comes to um, collecting these kinds of things and these kinds of recommendations. So the more the merrier in my mind. Again, Jennifer, it was awesome to chat with you today. Thanks so much for your time. I'll see you soon. I'll see you on Instagram. All right. Thanks so much, Erin. Bye. Bye.